Welcome to the Mid-Stage Startup Momentum Podcast. Each week, we interview up-and-coming founders of some of the fastest-growing mid-stage startups across the world. Your host is Roland Siebelink, who will share some of his own experience helping startups scale from 10 to 1,000 people in a few years. Here is Roland. Hello, and welcome to the Mid-Stage Startup Momentum Podcast. My name is Roland Siebelink, and I'm a coach, ally, and advisor to many of the fastest-growing mid-stage startups in the world world. Uh, I have today with me Peter Fossil, who is the co-founder and CEO of uh, Hydroset. Hello, Peter. How are you today? Hi, great, Roland. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. We're um, talking across the continent here. I'm in San Francisco today and Peter is in DC. What's the weather like there? (laughs) Well, it's a beautiful spring day in DC. It's about we get one perfect month of weather per year and then it gets really hot. So we're in that in that wonderful spring zone. So, and you're choosing to spend it on sitting inside doing podcast interviews. That's right. That's right. But there's no place <laughs> I'd rather be than than talking to you. So, uh, it's no a great point. honor to have you, Peter. So, as always, the first question is: What does Hydroset do? Who does it serve? And what impact are you making in the world? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, just re- real quick up front, uh, Hydrosat, we are a geospatial uh, analytics company uh, focused mm-hmm. on food security, environment, and agriculture. And so, we take satellite data, temperature of the earth from satellites, uh, and provide value added insights to farmers, agribusiness companies, uh, government agencies, all related to water stress, water stress in agriculture. And, and us humans, we've always been pretty good at figuring things out, mostly by trial and error. And there was some really smart group of people in Mesopotamia about 8,000 years ago that figured out if you harnessed water to cultivate crops, you could actually grow food and you could stay in one place and you didn't have to, you know, move around mm-hmm. following following wildlife, you know, this hunter-gatherer, you know, societies that we had previously. And so irrigation kind of entered the scene in human history about 8,000 years ago. Unfortunately, you know, there were no podcasts back then. We were probably writing on stone tablets, but some anthropologists will call me foul on that one. We don't have those early entrepreneurs, those early irrigation entrepreneurs on record, but really what they did was extraordinary and it changed the course of human history and and Mm -hmm. those impacts are, are, you know, being felt reverberating today for all of us, because what it allowed us to do as a species was settle into, you know, from villages into towns and grow cities, all because we were able to produce more food, a surplus of food on a more limited amount of land by harnessing water, by harnessing Mm -hmm. irrigation. And we fast forward to today, we're left as a society, you know, we're, we're much bigger now, 8, 8 billion people, population of the, of the planet and growing mm-hmm. quite rapidly. But we have the same amount of land on earth as we did 8,000 years ago. We have the same amount of fresh water as we did 8,000 years ago, mm-hmm. but we have 8 billion people to feed. And so the same problem persists today as it did then, which is how can we grow more food more efficiently? How can we mm-hmm. grow food on the same amount of land given our freshwater resources. And that's a big challenge. And it's it's one of the biggest challenges of the 21st century. It's a fundamental enabler for growth. And it intersects with one of the other biggest challenges of the 21st century, which is climate change. Mm-hmm. Because that supply of fresh water and you know arable land is under under threat 
from extreme weather events such as drought, major storm systems uh, that are having a bigger impact and a more frequent impact than they ever have before. So we mm -hmm. have the demand side, growing population. On the supply side, we have constraints around you know, climate change that mm -hmm. are mm -hmm. you know, making this equation really tough to solve. And so what we are doing in a, in a very small, but we hope to be, you know, have a, a, a large impact. What we're doing in a very, you know, in our, in our own way at Hydrosat is we're providing better information. We're providing better insights so that, you know, more food can be grown with less water and powered by satellite data. And so how mm -hmm. we do that is we use the temperature of the surface of the earth. So we measure the surface temperature of, of crops, uh, fields, forests from space. And from there, we get, you know, the moisture content, mm -hmm. how healthy and happy these, these plants are. And we use that as the basis for our field management insights uh, that we deliver to growers to help, you know, empower them with the best possible information to grow more food with, with less water. And mm -hmm. many cases, less water means less less pumping, uh, which, you know, is a big electrical cost. And it turns out, you know, around the world, most pumps in agriculture and most center pivot irrigation systems are often run on diesel generators. Mm -hmm. so less water means a less le electricity and less electricity means less, you know, diesel fuel, which is, you know, a, a major cost driver uh, in a lot of places for food production and obviously also a contributor to climate change. So, with better data, uh, we're helping farmers to make better decisions about their food production. And it's really those, those decisions that, you know, uh, add up over millions of hectares uh, across mm -hmm. the world into kind of a, a big impact and also a, a big market opportunity for Hydrosat. Excellent. Okay. So uh, let, let's move back a little bit into the history of just the company now. What made you guys start Hydrosat? What was your contacts your were you educated in this field was this a family thing like how did you land in this yeah no that's a that's a great question and you know every every founder has their own has their own journey right mm -hmm. so i'd always been interested in water issues so i uh, spent a lot of time growing up in the western united states uh, in the rockies and mm -hmm. this is a an area without a lot of fresh water uh, yep. to put it to put it mouthy uh, mm -hmm. Quite simply. Yeah. So, you know, when you are driving around, you know, both sides of the road, you're going to see fields with center pivot irrigation systems, mm -hmm. you know, growing hay or alfalfa or potatoes, but without irrigation, you know, there's, there's no food production on its scale. And so that was always, always, you know, very uh, just part of the landscape when I was growing up. So I went to school in Washington, DC, Washington, D.C. is a major hub for aerospace for probably pretty obvious reasons. NASA's here. Yeah. The Pentagon is 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 based down the road. And so, uh, so that added the, the set to the hydro. That's right. And that mm -hmm. added the set to the hydro. So I spent uh, several years working in management consulting for space companies, uh, for companies that built launch vehicles, that built satellites, that built remote sensing and earth observation work. That's you know the the field that Hydrosat is really born out of, and so one of our clients was NASA. Uh, my co-founder and I were at NASA, and we were talking to the engineer that developed this thermal infrared sensor that went on NASA's Landsat satellite. This is a eight hundred and fifty million dollar satellite, you know, mm -hmm. really, really exquisite, very impressive, capable piece of human engineering that. Mm -hmm. 
NASA uh, put up, and it's still one of the best sources of data available to us uh, when we're looking at uh, the environment, when we're looking at uh, water stress in the environment that comes from this, this NASA system. What the engineer showed us, he did kind of a demo in, in the lab for us. He had one of these sensors in the lab, and there was two house plants, and they both were identical. These are the mm -hmm. kind of plants that your grandma might have. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they look the same to me. You know, they're both green. They've got leaves. You know, it all checks out, right? And but we could look in the screen and see what the thermal camera was seeing, and you could see that these plants were really not the same at all. One was, you know, nice and cool, and so it had this, you know, kind of blue color to it, and the other one had all these red and yellow splotches mm. all over it. It was significantly hotter, and it turns out that that was the plant that. He had not been watering, and the other <laughs> okay, he yeah, been taking really good care of. And so, these two plants that look identical to you and I from the naked eye are having a completely different life experience, and mm -hmm. as a result, they're going to have a completely different trajectory in their growth. Of course, um, but you can't tell the difference unless you look at their temperature. And so, mm -hmm. that was a real aha moment for us, for my co-founder Royce and I, and we said, okay, you know great. NASA's got this great satellite, you know, almost a billion dollars. There's only, you know, a couple of them. They only pass over every spot on earth, you know, maybe once, twice a month at best. Mm -hmm. uh, what if we, you know, took this same sensor, put it on a fleet of commercial, you know, small satellite platforms and got the same data that NASA is getting, but in higher resolution, every single day, you know, what yeah. kind of impact could we have for farmers, for agribusinesses, for insurance companies? And, you know, you know, what kind of impact could we have for government users too? You know, all of the groups that really care about water stress and agriculture, care about irrigation, care about, you know, food security, some of these really, really big issues that, you know, are issues for society, but also, uh, you know, are, have a huge economic impact as well. Um, so how so, far is the product uh, along? I mean, it's it's a clear division. It's uh, it's really compelling. Are you in the planning stage? Have you been launching this? Is the network up and running? Have you perfected the product? Where where are we at this stage? Yeah, great great question. What we did was, you know, we realized at core we are an information company. You know, we've got satellite in the name, and yes, we are launching satellites. We have the first two of our own satellites that are going to launch next year mm -hmm. on SpaceX Falcon Nine rockets. But in any event, our customers, they don't care about that the data comes from satellites. They just yeah. want insights on their fields. They just want exactly. to be able to, to grow better. And so uh, we actually started first with a software product. And mm -hmm. at core, we're an information company. And so we built over the last couple of years uh, a software product that we have in the hands of commercial users, agribusiness companies, and farmers. And it uses, leverages all of the existing satellite data that we have access to from NASA, from the European Space Agency that's processed and, and analyzed in a unique way to provide insights to farmers. And so, mm -hmm. um, so we've actually already been, you know, doing the thing without our own satellites, okay. uh, which is the reverse approach of a lot of space companies where mm -hmm. it's, hey, let's go launch our satellite and then we'll go find customers. Well, we right. start with the customer problem that we were looking to solve, which is you know, irrigation management, water stress, and agriculture. And so we built the tool that addressed and solved that problem. And then we're adding our own data to it. And that data will make it work a lot better 
it will make it a lot mm-hmm. more scalable and will provide even more, more value to our customers. If, you're, if you want to build a car, you want to deliver transportation, you don't build a car that's got, you know, two wheels mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, build one that's got, you know, three wheels and then finally build a car. You know, you start with a skateboard, you know, yeah. you want to get from point A to point B, give them a skateboard, then give them a, a scooter then give them a bicycle, a motorcycle, and finally give them a car. Solve the customer's need. And so that's what we've what we've done with our software first approach, which is we've been trying to solve the customer problem. We've continuously been improving that over the last several years. And you've been able to attract customers already, right? You mentioned that you've had traction with uh, agriculture companies and farmers as well. How have you decided on your core customer target group? And has that changed over the years? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. So uh, it has changed uh, a bit just because, you know, every company, you know, you have a long-term vision and you want to meet that vision, but you don't want to start by trying to sell to every farmer in the world. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a very difficult business model. You can work up to it uh, and we have a unique go-to-market strategy there, but we actually started with government customers. For us, they were the early adopters. Our very first customers, paying customers were the U.S. government. Um, mm-hmm. European Space Agency. And we were you know, fortunate early on, even before we closed our first seed round of funding to have these government contracts where we were providing data to government on these same issues, you know, uh, environmental monitoring, water stress in agriculture. And you know, they were our early customers. So then we started working with agribusinesses. So companies that you know, maybe they weren't farming directly, but they were buying potatoes, say, from hundreds of different farms uh, in their, you know, region where they were sourcing. And so they cared a lot about the farm practices that were, that were mm-hmm, going on mm-hmm. in their supply chain. That was sort of the next phase of the evolution. Um, where Can you talk a little bit about how you find your customers at this stage? It's probably still a little bit an early stage for you guys, but uh, is it primarily inbound? people showing an interest? What is the what is the way in which you reach your customers? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. I'd say it's a it's a combination of inbounds. We obviously do, you know, marketing, we speak at conferences, we, you know, publish research and tweets and we go on podcasts, you know, like this. And so people mm-hmm. do find us, you know, and uh, and come and ask us about our products because it resonates with a lot of people. So certainly inbound leads have led to some some great business opportunities. But then also we have a traditional, you know, B2B sales approach uh, where, you know, in our industry to have maximum impact, you know, in agriculture, you know, there's really a, a very known set of large multinational agribusiness companies that mm. touch a lot of farmers all right. over the world. And so we've targeted those companies mm-hmm. and we've been very fortunate to have started working with a handful of them. And it's those companies that have brought us out to a lot of places. Mm-hmm. So many founders, also the ones that have been on this podcast, mentioned that there's some hesitancy in their company around, you know, working with big distributors like some of these big agro agribusiness companies that you mentioned, right? Primarily because they fear just being totally in a in a bad negotiation position and having to give up all their margin to work with these folks. Can you share something of your experience in that matter? Has that even come up yet? Um, what is the the model to make it interesting for distributors to work with you guys? Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's that's a great question. I think that is probably at play for most technology companies. Mm-hmm. You know, selling B two B or through distributors. 
you know, in most most places in the world. So that's certainly, you know, a dynamic that, you know, we're, we're all very familiar with. What we look for are what I call kind of like triple win scenarios, where it's really a win-win-win, a, a, a no-brainer for everybody. And so those scenarios are where the distributor has an opportunity to offer something to their customer, to the end customer, in this case, the farmer, that they otherwise, you know, is not part of their offering but gives them an opportunity to you know, have more touch points with their customer to provide a new level of value, differentiated value to their customer. And that helps the distributor compete because you know, yeah. every company that we would conceivably work with, you know, they have you know, five to 10 major competitors globally. And these are big global comp- companies, you know, distributors of farm equipment, distributors mm-hmm. of, of seed, of fertilizer, of crop protection. But a lot of them don't have software tools. They don't have geospatial insights to offer. And so we're giving them something new that they can bring to their customers, that their farm customers that add additional value. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they, that's a, an attractive proposition for them. For the farm customer, the end user, they're getting something of value because right. they see the potential to increase their yield per hectare or per acre, mm-hmm. which is more money in their pocket. So it has a has a you know a revenue ROI for them, while also reducing some of their input costs. And you know, farming is not a high margin business. It's a really yeah. tough business in a lot of mm-hmm, places. Mm-hmm. And so if they see an opportunity to reduce their electricity bill because they're not pumping and running their pivots as much because they're not using as much water and they're having a greater uh you know harvest at the end of the season then that that's a win for them and so what we look for are those triple win situations where you know hydrosat is able to provide our insights our product the partner is able to provide something new to their end customer that adds value and then that farmer you know gets gets a new tool in their pocket uh, to allow them to um, to essentially make more money, uh, grow more food, uh, use you know have lower input costs, and all the while you know our hope long term at scale is that this also reduces you know water use, reduces electricity use in agriculture, which will ultimately be good good for everybody. Got it. Okay, great. Cool. So for those listeners that have made it to the end of the podcast, thank you. Uh, Peter, what can they help HydroSet with? What are you looking for in terms of help from our listeners looking to hire, looking for new contacts, whatever it is, and where can they find out more? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, if you'd like to join us on our mission, whether it's, you know, uh, whether you're, you you like to join our team or, you know, help us along our way to, to uh, help the planet grow more food with less water, uh, you can find us online, uh, hydrosat.com or on LinkedIn or or Twitter. Uh, We're always looking, you know, to connect uh, with people uh, because, you know, I think a lot of people share our mission and I think we have you know, a, a, a fun way of, of going about it that I think a lot of your listeners might be excited about. So we'd, we'd love all the help we can get. Are there particular job profiles you're looking for at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So we're always looking for software engineers, for data scientists, increasingly for our satellite business. We're also looking for engineers uh, with uh, experience, you know, building satellite systems. Um, but Product marketing, you know, sales. I mean, it 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 really is a whole whole company uh, effort, and uh, we just just recently announced our Series A funding rounds just a couple of weeks ago. Thank you, and uh, all that means is you know we've got a whole new set of challenges uh, that we're really excited to tackle, and the the stakes are higher, and 
the opportunities are greater. Um, and so, you know, we're looking to expand the team and, and continue to grow. So uh, we do love- your hiring strategy work. primarily DC or are you also looking for remote workers? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, we actually have two centers of gravity, one in okay. uh, the US and then one in Europe. Okay. About half of our company is, is based in, in Europe. And we primarily hire in Europe in our, you know, in our offices, uh, but then also uh, distributed. And where are the offices in Europe? Sorry. Uh, the main one is in Luxembourg. Oh, in Luxembourg. Okay. Uh, but we're also opening an office in the Netherlands as well. Okay. Which is, you know, a great, great agriculture center of excellence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. A lot of experience with, with water and irrigation. Yes. Uh, moving water around. But, uh, but in the U.S., we uh, were... We're based in DC. We have an office in uh, in San Diego, um, cool. but we are hiring uh, distributed as well. So you know we're right. looking for the best possible people to join us. And so uh, we have employees in Vancouver, Canada, in New Zealand, of course, in in DC and California and Europe. But uh, but so we, pretty distributed already. That's are, good yeah, to hear. yeah, yeah. We are looking for the best people uh, where wherever you are. So. And just uh, be aware that if you do apply for a remote position, they can see exactly what you're doing with their satellites, right? So be careful. <laughs> no, we just we just look at the plants. Uh, we, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yes. If the plants are too green, you must not be spending enough time on the work, right? We can keep it that, that I guess. Okay. Awesome. Well, this was an amazing interview. Peter Fossil, the co-founder and CEO of HydroSet. Thank you so much for your time. Great, Roland. Thank you very much. Appreciate having me on. Like what you heard? Subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Tune in next time for more hot startups and interviews with some of the highest momentum startup founders in tech today.